the more that you can take in and the more that you can be inspired and the more different types of things you can see, the more that will enable you to have ideas for different ways that you can approach problems. And the second piece of it is, is that thinking about creativity not as some magical abstract thing, although there there most certainly is an element of that for, for creative professionals, but I firmly believe that anyone can be creative because creativity really is thinking about how to solve problems in new or unexpected ways. The B2B Marketing Exchange brings together B2B marketing and sales practitioners from across the country to get the latest tools and tips they need to succeed. Now, we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. I'm Claudia Tarico, And I'm Kelly Lindenau. And this is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the B2B MX Podcast. We are so close to the kickoff of the B2B Marketing Exchange on February 27th, and our team is working around the clock to tie everything together before we fly off to Arizona. But we're going to take a quick break from all of the planning today for just a quick 40 minutes or so to chat with Mike Ruby, who is the president and chief creative officer at Park and Battery. Mike has actually graciously accepted our ask to present our first ever campfire session at B2B MX. So we kind of wanted to just sit down with him to see what he's got up his sleeves for our audience in just a few weeks. Yeah, Claude, that's right. You know, the B2B MX team has really used these last few months to plan and bring so many new activities and sessions to our Scottsdale agenda because we don't want to be beat a boring, of course. Um, so this campfire session is just one of the things I'm most excited about this year. So Mike, welcome to our podcast and thank you for taking on the challenge and taking the time to join us today. Well, great to be speaking with both of you. Thank you for having me on the podcast and especially thank you for inviting me and the team from Park and Battery to be at B2BMX this year. We are so excited about participating and uh, especially excited about this new interactive format that you've created and that you're, you're letting us kind of uh, inaugurate here at the, at the conference. It's going to be great. Absolutely. We are so, so excited to see what you guys are going to do with it. But before we begin, can you just kind of lay some groundwork for our audience about yourself, Park and Battery, and your role there? Of course. So as you said, I am Mike Ruby. I am the President and Chief Creative Officer of Park and Battery. I'm I'm one of the co-founders of the agency. And uh, we are a brand marketing and content agency with people working all across the US and as well as the UK. One of the the beauties of the, the new way of modern work is that we're, we're able to work with experts from across the globe operating virtually, although we are headquartered with a big chunk of our team here in the San Francisco Bay Area. And we service and partner with a wide range of clients. Uh, a strong majority of those clients are in B2B, so in financial services, life sciences, media services, technology, and, and really in the last year with the explosion of AI-driven products and services. We have a lot of AI clients. And so we love being able to connect with the B2B community at B2B Marketing Exchange. And we're excited to be able to come and spend some time with some of our clients and some of our colleagues and friends in the industry at the conference this year and share a little bit about 
what we've been up to and what we've been learning and hopefully help attendees to take those learnings and apply them for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. We can't wait to hear it. So now, Mike, I don't mean to age you here, but I did hear that you're a B2BMX veteran. And this isn't your first time speaking at the event either. So kind of toot our horn a little bit. What is it about B2BMX that makes you keep wanting to come back? This is my second time getting to come to Scottsdale to, to be a part of the event. So I spoke at the conference in 2020, and it was the last time that I stepped on an airplane before the pandemic actually was to come down to Arizona for the conference, and then was fortunate enough as well to participate through the course of things when, when B2BMX had gone virtual. And then I, I'm, like I said, I'm really thrilled to be a part again this year. There are a couple of things that that I really love about the conference, and I'm I'm happy to to toot the horn for y'all. I think that the the people that participate, the quality of the the workshops, the quality of the speakers, the fact that it the diversity of content that's offered, it's not purely ABM, although there's a lot of ABM. It's not purely about content, although there's a lot about content. It's not purely about Martech, although there is stuff about Martech. And I think what's also very different about B2BMX versus a number of other events that I've attended is it is a really great mixture between hearing from client-side marketers, agency-side marketers, technology vendors and leaders, as well as just pure thought leaders who are able to really help share what they see and bring some fresh inspiration. So no one ever feels sold to, no one ever feels preached at. It very much feels like a, a true representation across the B2B community. And so I've really enjoyed being a part of it as well as being an attendee for all those reasons. And I'm I'm really excited about this year's lineup too. I've been putting my my agenda together to see who I can see while I'm there. Aw, you're bringing a little tear to my eye. That's so nice. Thank you so much. And yeah, there's just so much to look forward to. And yeah, 2020, that feels so long ago. But yeah, we were like the last conference that anybody really attended and the last flight I was on for a very long time as well. So it's so nice to have you back after a crazy two two and a half, three years. Um, and there's so much to look forward to this year. We've got a sound bath experience, which is also very new to me and new to the event. So hopefully attendees could take advantage of that. We have a bunch of parties, networking opportunities. We'll even actually be recording some future episodes of this podcast right on the show floor. So if you're attending, you come by, maybe come and have a conversation with us for the podcast. We'd love that. And of course, Mike, we have that campfire session essentially kicking off the festivities. So I know you kind of just alluded to it already. You know, you're looking forward to, you know, there's a lot of sessions and workshops. Anything specific that you really kind of is number one on your list for this year's event? That's a great question. You know, I'm excited about hearing Jay Bear speak. I've, I've heard him before and I follow him on Twitter. And so I'm, I'm excited to see his session in person. I think that's that's probably one of the big things that's high on my list. And then... From there, I've just seen that there are a number of content and creativity workshops. And actually, Ruben Webb from Stein IES, which is my, my alma mater, I started my career at Stein IES and was there for 15 years. I'm excited to see him and, uh, and his colleague, Jeremy, presenting on creativity, which is obviously near and dear to my heart. So I'm, I'm glad to see that content and creative are, are taking stage with both our session as well as their session at B2BMX. So I'm 
I'm excited to see old friends at the uh, at the conference as well. That's awesome. I, I didn't know that that you are a Stein IAS veteran as well. So very cool. You get a nice little reunion. And yeah, creativity is a really big theme of our event this year. But let's go back to this campfire session real quick. People are probably wondering what a campfire session is. So before we go on, I just wanted to paint the picture a little bit, especially if you're listening and you've never attended a B2B MX event before. So our event features three Three full days of content, right? Lots of networking opportunities, a bunch of different breakout tracks and things like that. But we kick off on a Monday with a bunch of workshops catered to all access pass holders. And these are intimate work groups, classroom interactive style, you know, where experts touch on key topics and strategies in B2B. And then the audience kind of goes to work like you're in a classroom, right? So historically, these workshops have have really been a highlight for attendees because they can learn from the best in B2B and then put their insights right to work in real life on the spot with even some of their own campaigns sometimes. The only downside there is that these workshops are only available for all access pass holders, aka the more expensive ticket, right? So I know budgets are tight, so maybe not everybody could get that more expensive ticket, right? So in between all the other activities and and sessions going on on Monday, we wanted to do a little more this year and give all of our attendees a greater chance to learn and explore these new ideas. So we came up with this idea of a campfire session. And I'm basically describing it as a keynote workshop hybrid. So this year, Mike will present his session and it's called Value Creation, The Real Magic and Metric of Content Marketing. But he's not going to be doing all of the work. Our entire audience will then be given frameworks, some bright ideas, opportunities to interact with each other and Mike and kind of bring all these insights into their own strategies with with various activities. So there may or may not also be some s'mores involved, but we'll see. We're still working on that. Anyway, so now that the audience has an idea of the session format, Mike, can you tell us what, first of all, what value creation is? Because it's a key term in your title. So what is value creation? And also give us a little sneak peek into your presentation and what the audience can expect. Sure. So when we say value creation, you know, I think the heart of it really comes down to what is it that the content that we generate on behalf of our brands and on behalf of our clients' brands, what is it that they actually do for the audience that we're creating for them? Too often, and this is the trap that that marketers may fall into with anything that they're developing, whether it may be messaging, whether it may be programs, whether it may be promotions, we have a tendency because it's easy to to spend a lot of time navel-gazing. And as we stare at our belly buttons, we think about what this content is doing to move the needle for a particular metric that we may have, whether that is a number of leads that we need to generate, whether that's a number of opportunities that we need to create. We think about these numbers that we have to provide back to our stakeholders to show that we've somehow done something good for ourselves. And in the process, we lose focus on the most important stakeholder of all, which is our customer. And so the rubric that we often like to steer our clients to look towards with content, in addition to the numbers that, of course, we have to hit is what is this actually doing that is going to be of use for a customer? I think sometimes I've been asked by by clients, and, and when I worked in-house and was building a content team, the, I was very often asked, you know, what is the most important metric that you're going to use to measure for the content you're creating? And I said, well, the first metric I'm going to have is, does it exist? 
are we actually creating something that is there and exists for our customer? And then the second is, is it something that they're actually going to want? You know, is it something that they can actually use? Is it something that's going to make them better at their jobs, help them make smarter decisions about what they do on a day-to-day basis, help them usefully to decide between whether our product or service is what they need, or if perhaps it is not what they are going to need. But unfortunately, I think, and then there's there's research that backs this up from On24, from Edelman, from yourselves at DemandGen Report that says that, you know, for all of the volume of content that's created, the value is often perceived as being very low from B2B audiences. And so when we talk about value, it's thinking about, yes, what can it do for us? But most importantly, what is it going to do for all of our audiences that's going to enable them to actually appreciate, like, want, even crave the content that we're creating? And so what we're going to take the time to do in in our campfire session is, first, we're going to talk a little bit about, well, what does it mean for content to have value? How can you think about ways that your content will create value What are some of the methodologies that you can use so that you can feel that you are confident in the value that you're creating with your content for your customer, which in turn is going to create value for you, for your sales team, and for your organization? And then we have a number of exercises lined up. They they may or may not be campfire themed, as this is a campfire session, where we're going to play some, honestly, we're going to play some games. We're going to tell some stories. And we're, we're going to, in the process hopefully give attendees the opportunity to walk out of the session with, if not something that they can implement, certainly a roadmap that will help them when they go back home after the conference to be able to enhance the abilities that they have with their content, and maybe even have some ideas or some new things that they want to try that'll take their content to the next level. Hey, I am totally sold on this session right now. Claude, is there any way for me to like sneak in the back or grab a s'more and join in on the games? Is that something we can make work? Listen, I already told you this. You already know the minute that we saw the proposal and the abstract and description for the session, I go, Kelly, we have to sit in the session because it's going to benefit us too as content creators. So we're both really, really excited. Absolutely. So now kind of to get us back on track a little bit, because Claude and I could talk about this all day. I wanted to focus a little bit more on that word metric. You've said that the quest for measurement and accountability has turned the MQL into the ultimate SIA tool, while also creating unintended challenges and conflicts between sales and marketing. So could you just elaborate on that a little bit more and share some advice on how to measure content efforts properly? Sure. I think that unfortunately, data has been both an incredible tool and advantage for us as marketers as as modern marketing has taken shape over the last decade. But by the same token, data has also become a crutch. And it's unfortunately been wielded as a way to be able to say, well, look at what we've produced without actually qualitatively being able to say how good or not good the results have been. I heard a keynote session a couple of years ago where you know, someone said that, that marketers are now using data the way that a drunk uses a lamppost. It's just it's something that they can lean against, but it's not necessarily giving them the true picture of things. And so, you know, we have a, a client who's deemed the traditional way that content is measured as being stuck on the MQL hamster wheel. What we mean by that is that we get a prospective customer to fill out a form to download a piece of content. And marketing feels great because we have created the almighty marketing qualified lead, the MQL. And then 
sales dives in. And, you know, considering that the vast majority of the time, buyers are not actively in a buying mode, they're doing research. And so sales reaches out thinking that they're going to be able to have a great conversation with this person. And they find out this person isn't sales ready. And so they recycle the lead. And at the end of the quarter, sales says, we're not getting enough leads. And marketing says, well, what about all those hundreds or thousands of MQLs that we've given you? And sales says, well, they're not good enough. And marketing says, well, you're not closing well enough. And you just keep continuing on this vicious cycle where marketing and sales, instead of having a shared vision, put themselves at odds. And at the end of the day, the customer who we're trying to help and who ultimately will benefit from our product or service, they're spinning right along with us. And we rarely actually get to move the ball forward. And so for us, you know, the MQL has become a bit of a CYA or a cover your ass tool. And so for us, what we want to think about is how do we look at the cumulative efforts of our content so that, yes, we are going to try and generate contacts when we need them. But are there other ways that we can look to measure the impact of our content that ultimately drive towards the biggest thing that we're accountable for as marketers, which is sales? How do we ultimately deliver on the bottom line? And so that's what we talk about and what we're going to spend a lot of time focused on and using some very real world examples of how do you think about content cumulatively, not just at generating a name that comes into a marketing automation platform, but how do you think about your audiences holistically? How do you think about measuring the engagement that you have with them holistically and ultimately get on the same page with sales so that you're driving to the same place and you all feel really good about it. And, you know, as I said before, no one is spinning their wheels. Absolutely. And then obviously there's so many moving parts to that. And there's also so much marketing tech and tools out there right now. So are there any tools or solutions or anything in particular that you think are most important for modern content marketers to have these days? I think there, there are definitely tools that are still required in this process. You know, even if you're not thinking about that one MQL number being the holy grail of what has to be done, you can't have any measurement or insight whatsoever if you're, you're not operating without a marketing automation platform and a CRM where everything is clean and connected and where marketing and sales can be speaking the same language and looking at the same data. I'm not necessarily going to recommend one vendor over another. It really depends on people's comfort with how technical they want to be versus how easy and do it yourself. You want things to be everyone has different systems. We have clients who use a number of different solutions who've been successful. But I think at the heart of it, you've got to have a good marketing automation platform, and you have to have a good CRM, and they all have to be operating from the same clean data to be able to have a picture of what you're doing. With that, I think from there, you also need to make sure that you're understanding what the digital body language of your customers is. And so you're going to want some sort of web analytics platform, whether it's something as standard as Google Analytics, or if you want to take things up a little further with a hot jar or a crazy egg where you can actually start to look at heat mapping and follow interactions on pages, you want to see where people are. And you know, lastly, you know, it's always been much easier for content creators to measure the impact of their written content. So we can see what's downloaded. There are great content management platforms that allow you to see how many pages people have read, how far they've gotten. But from a video perspective, I think that there are some really great video platforms like Vidyard and Wistia that now enable you to get much more granular to understand the value of your video content, which is important because now that so much can be streamed so quickly and so easily, video has leapfrogged in all of the research in terms of 
what B2B buyers want to be consuming. It's the thing they go to first uh, when they're trying to figure out complex things and to understand what their options are. And so as we as B2B marketers make more and more video content, we also need tools that are going to help us to measure the impact of that content to understand how long it should be, what types of topics are working, etc. Absolutely. And now I'm going to take the initiative and shift gears a little bit. And so Mike, most of our listeners probably don't know this, but you are an award-winning Libertist. I hope I'm saying that right. But for those who don't know, that is a person <laughs> that is a person who writes the text of an opera or other long vocal work. And you also come from the musical theater world. So could you just share with us how that background has served as an inspiration to your creativity and sort of go into the specific elements that you incorporate into your campaigns and your clients' campaigns? Thank you for, for bringing that up. I am a recovering performer. I grew up in choir and in musical theater and performing all through college. And I'm going to be the jerk who does give a, a, a pronunciation. It's a librettist because, you know, you write a libretto. So it's the person who writes the words uh, and writes and is responsible for the story and the script. I, I do write some lyrics. But yeah, I, I've, <laughs> I spent the, the early part of my career between two worlds, between theater in New York, as well as working in marketing and advertising. I, I found my first found my first job temping while I was performing. And I think the the thing about coming from a performing arts background and understanding how stories are told and characters are crafted, I found this to be incredibly helpful. One, in thinking about how we tell, you know, going back to what I was saying a little early, earlier ago, a little bit earlier ago, how we tell stories and how we create narratives and how we engage an audience and how we put the audience first. But at the same time, thinking about how do you, you know, the same as, as an actor or a writer builds a character and builds a narrative from the ground up, we do the same for our brands. So thinking about how does our brand want to look? How does it want to sound? How does it carry itself? How do people interact with us? These are the same questions that we ask in the theater or in film when we think about how a character may behave in a, in a certain setting. And so having that background has been extremely helpful. And then the other, and this is, you know, what I've been telling my kids is they've been my daughter's very interested in following after her mom and dad and, and performing in the performing arts. My son is a little bit less keen about it, but I, we're pushing him out there to do something because having the confidence to be able to stand up in front of people, be able to speak with people comfortably, to be able to lead a session like this campfire session in a couple of weeks, it requires you to be comfortable in front of people and with large groups of people and understanding the dynamics of people and being able to keep attention and keep people engaged. And so I think the same as sports is a fantastic tool for helping people learn how to collaborate and setting goals. And that's something that, that we reinforce with our kids as well. I think that the uh, the performing arts, whether it's theater, whether it's music, whether it's dance, I think all of these are, are very instrumental in terms of helping us to think creatively and also think with a certain type of structure that lends itself to marketing. Absolutely. And I mean, I totally get that about being well-rounded. I mean, I grew up playing soccer so I and I didn't really have any sort of musical theater background. And last year at B2BMX, I got put on stage to moderate a track and I was a deer in the headlights. And I was like, I am not experienced enough for this, but it all worked out. So, you know, there's trial by fire, then there's trial by theater. So it's a uh, pick your poison, I guess. They're often very much one and the same thing. I mean, I'm sure you've heard of what's called the actor's nightmare, which is a very real thing that performers have where you have this dream that you end up on stage and you have no idea what your lines are and that you're just kind of thrust out there in front of everyone and have to figure it out. 
And I think the same thing happens to all of us in whatever line of work that we take on, that there are going to be times where you have to go out there and figure it out. And the thing that I've always told actors that I've directed, and I've told my daughter when she first started performing is go wrong, go strong, be confident, dig right into it. Nine times out of 10, folks won't know that you've made a mistake unless you tell them that you've made a mistake. So be confident and persist and carry through and that too shall pass. You know, I wish we could just end it right here because that would be the perfect note to end it on. Nice, positive, empowering. But unfortunately, we have a few more topics to run through first. So obviously, a big part of mine and Claudia's job as editors is being creative. And while I can't necessarily speak for her, let me tell you, it is tough to get inspired sometimes, especially with B2B content. So, I mean, we kind of just went over it, but do you have any other sort of advice how to encourage others to tap into their creativity? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think one place to start is always in what your content diet is. And I don't mean that even just the sense of marketing content, but all of the things that you take in. So the music that you listen to, the podcasts that you may listen to, the shows that you watch, the books that you read, the websites that you visit, a lot of what you are able to produce is a result of what you are either consciously or even subconsciously consuming and then able to reinterpret. So I think that part of it starts with making sure that you have a well-rounded media diet and All of us are guilty of falling down the trap of or falling into the trap of maybe being stuck in our own little media bubbles or watching our same favorite shows over and over again or, you know, sitting and watching very short form content. Although my wife and I like to say there's a a great meme that, that represents us in that we don't have TikTok accounts. We watch streams of TikTok videos like any rational adult by watching them on Instagram where someone has collected them for us. But in all seriousness, I think that the more that you can take in and the more that you can be inspired and the more different types of things you can see, the more that will enable you to have ideas for different ways that you can approach problems. And the second piece of it is, is that thinking about creativity, not as some magical abstract thing, although there there most certainly is an element of that for, for creative professionals, but I firmly believe that anyone can be creative because creativity really is thinking about how to solve problems in new or unexpected ways. And so it doesn't necessarily have to mean that you write a poem or paint a picture or sing a song. It's about how you interpret a situation that you're in and find clever ways to solve a problem within that situation. And for us as marketers, it's thinking about ways that are going to be memorable, unique, interesting, compelling for whoever our audiences may be. And so I'd say, again, just to kind of sum up, take in as much as you can so that you're you're starting with a really great foundation of different ways of approaching an issue. And then think differently within those situations and, and try and apply that into solving a particular problem. Think about the problem that you have to solve. And then, you know, I, I think the the cherry on top for all of that is There's got to be a level of bravery involved in creativity. I tell my teams all the time that if an idea that they bring to the table makes me nervous, there's probably something really good in it. And it's probably a good thing. And that if I wasn't at least a little bit worried about whatever this thing was, it's probably really not that clever enough. I love that. Really, really awesome advice. And listen, I'm right there with you and your wife, Mike, with the whole... TikTok, the videos going on Instagram for the adults to watch. So I'm right there with you because I'm only on Instagram as well. But yeah, so 
I know you guys work with some really cool and creative companies. So I'm really looking forward to seeing all the different campaigns and examples that you are probably going to share during your session. I'm sure you are, but I'm also heavily involved with our Killer Content Awards. And this awards ceremony and awards program kind of spotlights all of the epic content and campaigns in the industry every year. And we host the ceremony at B2BMX in Scottsdale every year, and our winners get to go home with a really cool Finney trophy. So I'm part of the winner selection committee, for lack of a better word or term. And I did see that you actually submitted two nominations for our awards. We have one from QuestX and Esquire Bank. So can you give us a little bit of a just sneak peek into like what those campaigns are and how you formulated them and really what makes them worthy of a win? Sure. Well, we're keeping our fingers tightly crossed. We're hopeful, especially for the work that we did last year at the agency, those are, are two of the campaigns we're, we're really, really proud of. Questex, for, for those who aren't aware of them, they are one of the leading publishers in the B2B space within a number of categories. They own the Fierce brands. So whether that's all of the Fierce Life Sciences brands or they have the Fierce Technology brands, they also have a huge segment that we worked with them recently in and where our, our nomination is for within the health and beauty and spa industry. And that includes a conference that they host every year called the International Beauty Show. And the the International Beauty Show is the, the preeminent conference for beauticians and salon owners and others who are involved in that field where they can come together and learn from their peers and see the latest products and technologies that are helping to drive the health and wellness and, and beauty industries forward. And like all conferences, and like we talked about earlier, they were affected, obviously, by the pandemic in terms of not being able to have live events for a certain period of time. And so we worked with them early last year to drive attendees back to the International Beauty Show in New York. And the way that we did this, because we're, again, still thinking about how can we engage with people who are you know, still very much separated from each other, if not quarantined. And so we joked about TikTok as a channel a little while ago, but TikTok and Instagram are where the beauty industry live. And so we created a campaign to drive people back to the show that was primarily influencer driven, except it wasn't necessarily the beauty influencers who you see that are showing people how to apply their makeup. It was the influencers for the people who are selling the makeup or applying the makeup in the stores. And so we had beauty professionals who are influencers who helped to create content we put that out through TikTok and Instagram, as well as supported through a number of other digital channels and podcasts and uh, helped to drive massive numbers back to New York and then record numbers when we ran the same playbook in Las Vegas a few months later. So we're really, really proud of that work that we did with them and uh, excited about actually having a really strong application of TikTok and Instagram in B2B where you don't typically see those channels work. The other campaign that we nominated is for our client Esquire Bank, they are really interestingly, they're a digital first bank. They have no branches. They operate out of New York State and they have a lot of presence in the Northeast, but they operate nationwide. And one of their largest industries and where they're really known as a leader is providing financing solutions for law firms. And so the work that we've done with them has really been rooted in looking at how we can be very, very hyper-personalized in targeting law firms across the country, helping those firms to be able to, to grow their businesses 
and doing that largely through content. So we developed a content brand with them called Lawyer IQ that's focused on the business of law. We developed tools, we developed digital marketing and developed campaigns to really look at how we can help build out their presence and help lawyers who, who learn a whole lot about practicing law in law school, but maybe learn less about business in law school to become better business people and grow their firms and better compete. And we're going to be talking a bit more about the Esquire Bank case for sure at the campfire session. So hopefully uh, those who are listening will show up and get to hear a bit about how we've been able to use a broad content strategy powered by, for Esquire's case, the Salesforce Marketing Cloud to really, really, really drive very personalized, specific campaigns that have been really successful for them. Yeah, that's great. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing more. The nominations themselves were fascinating. And just to see you know, the results and all the awesome stuff that came out from both of these campaigns is, is great. And specifically with Quest Hacks, and you made a great point, You know, not every specific channel is going to work for every company, right? So obviously, everybody knows, you know, TikTok, Instagram, they're really big, but not every B2B company, it doesn't really make sense because their audience might not be there. But you know, with with that Questex example, being in the beauty industry and seeing how big beauty is on these platforms, it really just made sense. So don't always write off a specific channel because it's not relevant for your audience. It might be relevant for your audience and you could get creative and in those ways. So I really enjoy that. And I know Kelly gets really excited talking about TikTok as well, because uh, she has a she she has a TikTok account for her pitbull Gus, who is the cutest thing. And he has gone viral many, many times. Right, Kelly? Yes, he has. Well, it's Gus underscore the pity if anyone's interested, but he has gone viral, hugely viral three times. We're talking 60K likes, 40K likes, 30K likes. So I think I pretty much have to quit this job and become his social media manager at this point. Right, Claude, is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. And then you could work with Park and Battery for more campaigns and then you guys are going to be set. So just like make sure you send me a little cut of all of that for giving you guys the idea. Absolutely. I, we're, we're in. We've worked with doggy influencers before, believe it or not. <laughs> when, we, when we worked with some pet health clients in the past, we, we worked with a fella and his chihuahua who would do yoga together. So I'm... I'm sure that we're ready for your RFP whenever you're you're ready to take this brand live. I love it. <laughs> Gus and I might have to work on our act. We're both not <laughs> exactly flexible or nimble, but we'll workshop some ideas and, and we'll connect offline about this. <laughs> um, <laughs> so clearly, Mike, if there's anything I've learned from this time together is that you are clearly a man of many talents. And I actually just recently learned that you are the co-host of an interesting podcast. Can you tell us a little more about it? Oh, gosh, you're really you're like outing every little crazy thing about me in this podcast here. So listen, um, I just talked I, about I, my viral dog. <laughs> so it's fine. <laughs> fair enough. So I will venge further. I am an unabashed Star Wars nerd. I have been since I was very small. The first movie I ever saw in a movie theater was Return of the Jedi. I know I'm dating myself there. But I, I was a very wee child standing in the movie theater the whole time. And so one of my best friends in the world and I, as well as an, another fellow who we've, we've met through over the years, we have created a, a podcast called Babu's Frickin' Podcast, named after the character Babu Frick from the, the last Star Wars movie, where we talk about one of our favorite things in the whole world. And we keep it non-toxic. There's, there's a lot of toxicity in the the, the sci-fi community and in, in the, the general kind of pop culture community where people want to tear everything down. So we 
we keep it light. We keep it fun. Uh, we talk about the shows that are currently out, the movies that come out. We look backwards and we certainly don't take ourselves too seriously. So if any of you out there are fellow Star Wars fans, uh, you can find us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anywhere where you find things that you want to put into your glorious ears. That's uh, Babu's freaking podcast. Well, I know what I am subscribing to when we're done here. So now that I got us on the topic of podcasts, thanks to my very smooth transition, it's no secret that podcasts have been pretty big in the B2B space. And even now within that killer content awards we offer, we now offer a category solely for audio content. So given your experience with podcasts, what kind of advice can you give B2B organizations and marketers who are looking to dive deeper into the world of audio content. That was a very smooth segue, Kelly. I, I thoroughly applaud you on that one. The things to keep in mind for podcasts, at least from my perspective, are one, making sure, as with all of the content we've been talking about today, understanding what your audience's appetite is. So thinking about what is the right length for this audience? You know, is this something where they want something that is quickly consumable? They want 15 minutes? Do they want longer form where you start getting into something much deeper? And then thinking about who do they want to hear from? You know, why the same as any of us who, who do a podcast sit down and think about why does anybody want to listen to my voice for 20, 30, 40, even 60 minutes? As you're considering a podcast for your company or for your brand, you know, think about what is it that your voice is going to bring to the conversation? What is it that you want to add to the conversation? And importantly, in thinking about that format, who else is going to appear? You know, I, I think something that we certainly try to do with our clients when creating podcasts and that, you know, me personally, we've tried to do is try and add a variety of voices to the conversation. You know, in fact, we're, we're working with a client right now in the life sciences space where they've developed a podcast talking with leaders in the biotech community. And there's been a lot of preparation work that we've, we've put into that to help them to clarify what the identity for the podcast is, how we really create the most energy and the most interest around it. And then thinking very carefully about the conversations that are had. And there are some people who can do like Joe Rogan does on Spotify, where he's very comfortable to just sit there and show up and shoot the breeze and comes in with nothing planned does a little bit of research. And sometimes it shows that he's not very well researched, but he just lets it fly. And it's very engaging and entertaining for people who like his podcast. I think if you are a brand and you are bringing guests on, or you are thinking about what you want to be putting together, plan your episodes. They don't have to be meticulously planned, but have a discussion guide, have a sense of what you want to talk about, even have a 10 minute conversation with your guest If you're going to have guests before you actually sit down and record because not everyone, especially if you're not an entertainer, you're not used to going on a press circuit, people are going to have different levels of comfort. And so uh, I, I think, you know, if I, if I summarize everything there, I think it's really thinking about what's your perspective in terms of your podcast? What, what is your voice going to add? Who is it for? And how can you really create it in a format that's going to be easily and enjoyably consumable for people, whether they're in their cars or they're taking their dog for a walk or they're on the treadmill. And then preparation, as with anything in life, is key. And I think that preparing for a podcast, especially if you have guests who are not used to doing this sort of thing, or if you yourself are new to it, facilitating a conversation over time, you're going to get better at it. The first couple episodes of a podcast are going to be bumpy. You may feel like you suck. You will probably hate the sound of your own voice. But after you get over that and start getting more comfortable and figure out how to prepare and pull your runs downs together, you'll find that it becomes much more successful and you're able to treat it like any other channel. 
and thinking about how to optimize it for for quality and for impact. Awesome. I mean, first of all, I love talking about podcasts on a podcast. It's very meta. And, you know, it's great advice that, you know, we constantly think about when we're planning our podcast episodes and just some new things too that I'm personally going to keep in mind as we even start planning for our next season. All right, Mike, I think we've touched on pretty much everything we can without spoiling too much of the event. But before we run out of time, any final thoughts or perhaps a final elevator pitch for your campfire session at B2BMX? Final thoughts would be first, again, thank you for having me on the podcast today. And thank you for having me and, and the Park and Battery team at B2BMX. And I would say the, the final pitch on, on the campfire is this will be not only something where you can come and see examples of what's working and get fresh ideas, but we're, we're actually going to put pens to paper, fingers to keys, brains to task to actually walk out of B2BMX with things that you can hopefully action when you can get home or think more about. And it will also be probably the first, but hopefully not the last time that you will be able to eat s'mores at a B2B marketing conference. So Come for the snacks, stay for the content, and hopefully we're all going to have a really great conference and come away with something really helpful from our campfire session. Yes, uh, I have nothing else to say because that's amazing and we're going to have so much fun. So I really, really hope everybody could take the time to fly out. It's not too late. And I'm going to keep saying it's not too late until we get there. But thank you so much, Mike, again, for taking the time to chat with us today. And we'll see you in Scottsdale. See you there. All right, folks. So that is unfortunately all the time we have for today. So I just want to thank you all so much for listening. And we really hope this conversation inspired you to book a last minute flight to Scottsdale so you could join us at B2BMX. We do still have that discount code available for listeners. So make sure to use it to your advantage. Use it or lose it, people. It's going to be a great show. That's right. And again, it is never too late to register. The more the merrier. Please come on down. It's going to be a really great time. So that's a wrap. Thanks again for tuning in today. As always, subscribe to the podcast on any player of your choice. And of course, hit us up on Twitter or LinkedIn to chat. We will catch you next week. Bye, folks. Oh.